You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. This morning, we're wrapping up this series called True Riches. We've been here now for five weeks, and it's been just amazing to watch God working in our hearts as we understand the direct connection between how we handle our finances and the inheritance of true riches in the kingdom of God. Jesus himself, in over 30% of his teaching, talks about money because he is passionate about us getting this heart issue of money right. And he actually says, the true riches of the kingdom will be entrusted to those who figure out how to handle their money right. We don't get a free pass with this this, uh, separate compartment of our life called finances. No, he says there's a direct connection. There's spiritual pursuits and our handling of finances. So we want to be good stewards before the Lord of all that he blesses us with. We've been talking about this, and it's been fun to hear stories just come trickling into me of how God is promoting people in their workplace, how God is giving them raises and favor. God is blessing us, which is amazing to hear those testimonies. I heard an amazing testimony of a couple who actually had a major, um, a major surgery at the hospital here. They had to remove a growth and uh, not only was the growth cancer-free, praise the Lord, then they were planning on having to be billed thousands of dollars that they'd have to figure out how to way to pay. They found out not only was she cancer-free, but there was zero dollars that they owed the hospital. Praise God. As they've trusted the Lord with their finances. So both end, God cares about our physical health. Praise God, cancer-free. We want this place to be cancer-free. He also cares about our finances, and God is our provider. And even if they would have had a bill, God would have made a way. God is so generous as our, our, as our Heavenly Father. He cares about the things that we face, and we're going to see that this morning as well. Another favorite story I heard just a week and a half ago, we had some students return from camp, a bunch of elementary school kids, and once they get, once they get God's heart at camp, just look out. There's a group of four girl elementary age girls that came back from camp, and they said, we have a heart for the nations. We have a heart for missions. What can we do? They can do a lot. They put together a lemonade stand, cookies, selling some cookies on the street block, and, um, and they made $70 for missions. Praise God. It's so cool. I love it. Just like that. I just love when, when God uh, captures our hearts with a vision of how we can be a blessing, how we can partner with what he's doing around the world, and even locally in our own city, in our neighbors' lives as well. We're going to look at Luke chapter 9. I want to get us up to speed because this morning, I'm going to kind of try to tie a bow on all that we've talked about the last five weeks in this series. I just want to bring everyone up to speed. This series has been based on a, a key text in Luke chapter 16, verses 10 and 11, where Jesus says, one who is faithful with little is faithful with much. One who is dishonest with little is dishonest with much. If you then are, are not faithful with unrighteous wealth, who then will entrust to you the true riches? That's what Jesus says. It's this principle of reciprocity. Be faithful with little, you'll, you'll, you're, you're demonstrating that you'll be faithful with much as well. And he makes the connection between how we handle our, what he calls unrighteous wealth with the true riches of the kingdom. The true riches, as we talked about in the very first week, that's people actually making an impact in people's lives. That's what matters. The only thing that will last, the other side of eternity, 
is actually impact in people's lives. And that's the true riches of the kingdom. That's what I want my life to be about, is impacting people for eternity, not acquiring a kingdom unto myself, but investing in people. And Jesus says you'll be entrusted with that if you figure out how to handle your finances right. So we talked about that. We talked about this, this framework of understanding that we are stewards and not owners. And that is a huge freedom bringer in our lives when we just understand that God's entrusted us with something as stewards, and we are not the owners. That kind of frees those sticky hands. We all have sticky hands. And we just understand that we are stewards of, of something that he's entrusted to us, that he's given us. It's so freeing to our souls. We talked about the principle of first things. That is the training wheels. If you say, I want Lord Jesus to be master over my money, then listen up to the principle of first things. That's the giving of the first 10% of our income to the Lord before we do anything else. More than we respect the government, more than we respect our mortgage company, we're saying we respect God. He's the one who's entrusted us with it, with, with, with it in the first place. We're going to give him back this principle of first things or first fruits. It's so freeing to get us on this trajectory of Lord Jesus being master over our money. So this morning, as we've kind of set that framework, set that, that foundation of God caring about our money, of that being linked directly to the true riches that we're entrusted with in the kingdom of God, the principle of first things, the foundation, those training wheels are on. I want us to talk about giving above and beyond in the area of our finances. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 9. Our, our big idea for this morning, our main idea is this. God demonstrates his gen- generosity through us. The revelation of this part of God's character, his generosity, his abundant generosity, his graciousness, it's displayed through you and I. He directly reveals that aspect of his heart and his, of his nature to people directly. He can do that and he does it. But more often than not, he uses us. He calls us the body. We are the embodiment of God. We are his hands and his feet. And so as that, as the body of Jesus Christ, we get to demonstrate his generosity on the earth. That is a cool mandate. I want to be a part of it. So let's just look at this fun story in Luke chapter 9. This is a fun story. Maybe familiar to you, maybe not. Let's take a look. Luke chapter 9 says, On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And the crowds learned that they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had, who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. I hope that sticks with you this morning. Jesus looking to the disciples and saying, you give them something to eat. They said, uh, uh, what? <laughs> we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we are to go and buy food for all these people, their minds are starting to race. Like, okay, let's see how we can do this. We want to be obedient to Jesus. What do we do? Let's make a run to Hickory Park. Let's uh, scavenge all we can from the crowd. What are we going to do? <laughs> Panic mode. For there were about 5,000 men. That's their counting system, I guess. They just count the men. Women count. We count you, women. Children, we count you. That's what he said to the disciples. Uh, or this is what he said to the disciples. Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. 
And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd, and they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces, more than what they had started with. I love it. It's this beautiful um, dance between God being the miracle worker, but him wanting to use his disciples to carry out the miracle. It's this constant, okay, God, what's the next thing, what's the next thing that we do? Figure out what we have here. Okay, we got five loaves and two fish. Now, now break the people down into groups of 50. Now we'll bless it. Now we'll hand it out. God's the miracle worker. These disciples, they're, they're the humble one, vessels through which God, the conduits through which God works this miracle. God demonstrates his generosity through us. And just imagine this crowd of people drawn to Jesus, I think most often by his healing abilities, the miracle working power to actually uh, cast out demons and make people's bodies right. That's mostly what drew the crowds. There, were all, there was also this authority that Jesus carried in his teaching that drew people. Those are probably the two most pro, uh, prominent aspects of Jesus' ministry that drew the crowds. And here thousands upon thousands are drawn to him by his healing power and by his authority. Imagine the thousands of people now walking away with full tummies. What is more just raw and uh, a basic part of our humanity? is our hunger, yes, and our daily sustenance. And here King Jesus, superstar Jesus, he's not standing on a pedestal, pedestal far above them all, far removed from their humanity, but instead he says, I see your hunger. I see, I can hear the, the growls in your tummy. And I'm going to feed you abundantly. And they walk away full. They all ate till they were full. They didn't just take a little chunk of bread till everyone had some. They ate till they were full and there were 12 basketfuls at the end. Praise God. It's God's generosity. And he did it through people like you and I. Through, humble, through his humble disciples. You see, his disciples were no different than you and I. They were, they were nobodies. But they had experienced, they had experienced this revelation of God's generosity. You see, Jesus looked at a guy named Bartholomew. He said, Bartholomew, come follow me. And Bartholomew's like, who, me? me? <laughs> I'm a nobody. I'm a lowly fisherman. You don't understand that. He said, Simon, come follow me. Levi, yeah, no one likes you, Levi. You're a cheater. You're a deceiver. You're a liar. Come follow me. That's God's generosity. As he looks at, as he looks at these 12, there's also this group of 72 disciples. He looked at them and he said, come and follow me. That's God's generosity. That God would look beyond the outer exteriors of our lives. He'd speak something different about us. He says, I'm calling you to, new, to, to a new life. Let's go change the world. Let's go do something. Let's go bring about this kingdom. And one by one, these disciples said yes to Jesus. They'd experienced his generosity. Now it was God that was going to use them to display his generosity to others. So God demonstrates his generosity through us. Because we have experienced his generosity. That's one of the main places from which we display most accurately his generosity to others, is that place of revelation of his generosity ourselves. When you come to that place where you encounter Jesus and his gracious kindness over your life, his goodness over your life, you see where you have been and where you are now because of God's generosity, that's a, that's a good place then 
to then put yourself in a position to be generous to somebody else. And the disciples had been a part of these creative miracles before. They had seen their nets overflowing to the point of tearing because of the, the tremendous catch that Jesus led them to. I like fishing, and I just wish that Jesus would give me that type of heavenly like GPS uh, on where the fish are. He, he, they had heard about the miracle where he turned water into wine, his very first miracle in Cana. Jesus had fed, another, in another setting, Jesus fed 4,000 people. They had heard of Jesus' creative miracle, miracle working power before. They understood this was part of his character. And yet here in this setting, here they are, they know that people are getting hungry. They're like, let's, let's move them on. Let's, let's let them go and find a place to eat. They can grab some Casey's pizza. It's probably going to be the only thing that's open. <laughs> but Jesus says, hold up. You guys should know I'm so generous. I care about their hunger pains. Let's feed them tonight. Actually, no, you feed them. That's what he says. You feed them. God demonstrates his generosity through us because we have experienced his generosity. And I want to tell you this morning, if you're like, Drew, I have not experienced God's generosity. I've had a really difficult life, actually. Maybe you perceive God as that. I want to, I want to ask you this morning just to give God an opportunity to display this aspect of who he is. What if you've gotten the wrong glimpse of Jesus because of what other people have said or done in your life? They've misrepresented Jesus. What if... I don't want you to miss out because of a misrepresentation at some point in your life. What if there's a different Jesus, and it's actually the Jesus here in the Word of God, and not saw some false representation that you've seen through media, you've seen through your broken neighbor or broken family member. They sometimes mishandle revelation of Jesus. Look at the Jesus here who sees a hungry crowd and says, let's feed them. That's the generous heart of our Father. And I want every person in this place to experience God's generosity, his kindness, and his goodness. That's what we all need. We're all selfish. We come into this world. Some of our first words are mine, right? Like the, the, we, we're, we are very um, selfish beings at our core. We kind of grow, grow out of that, but I haven't fully grown out of my selfish nature. I actually recently told my wife where the line was in my life for generosity. I said, ice cream I will not share. <laughs> I've told her that. Like, I'll share a lot of other things. She's got a real salty tooth. I'll share my salty treats. But with ice cream, that's where the line is drawn. I'm selfish, and I need Jesus. And that's where we're all at. We encounter the loving kindness of God, and it brings us to our knees, and we see his generosity and here's just one beautiful example, Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. It says, but when, the, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. So not because of how awesome you are. Because you've said the right words, you come from the right family, or you've adhered to the right religious creed. But according to his own mercy, it's his generosity by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That is the generosity of God. Look at how far the pendulum swings in this passage. It goes from us 
being enemies of God, having absolutely nothing to show before this holy God. And he says, by his mercy that he saves us, that he redeems us, he renews us by his Holy Spirit. That's, that's back to zero. We're back to like right standing before God. But then the pendulum keeps swinging all the way over here where he says we're actually heirs. We become co-heirs with Christ. We become co-laborers. We actually have an authority in his kingdom. We actually are joined into a kingdom. It's not just a ticket to heaven, but now it's a whole new way of life and an eternal life. That's what he says, heirs of an eternal hope. Blows our minds. Blows my mind that God could look upon my life and have mercy upon me and not just say, hey, you're saved, but you have an inheritance, an eternal inheritance. That's God's generosity. So when it comes to our finances, how small and minute those, those small acts of generosity seem in comparison to God's generosity towards us. I recently heard a, heard a testimony of a dear saint right here in our church after one of our services in this series, True Riches, she came up to me with tears in her eyes and told me of one of the, the first um, moments where she was beginning to wrestle with this revelation of God's generosity and then how God cares about our finances. Here she was, a single mother, hardly having enough money to put food in her kids' mouths. She heard about a message to begin tithing. She began tithing. She began giving. And in specifically one Sunday morning service, she gave, honestly, all she had. And she knew at home she did not have food in her cupboards to feed her kids. It may seem reckless to some, but for a person that has fallen in love and encountered the generosity of God, it's small. She went home. By the time she got home, there were groceries sitting on her front stoop. It's just the way God is. And so often when we, when we play it safe, when we harden our hearts to God's generosity, we're missing out on those joy-filled just um, surprises of experiencing God's generosity in big ways and even small ways. God demonstrates his generosity through us because we've experienced his generosity. It's the, it's the best place to begin walking in generosity. It's out of this deep revelation of God's generosity. It's not easy to do, though, when it comes to our finances. There's so many things that, are, that vie for our attention. And I've shared a little bit about me and my wife's story and our finances. I shared, I shared the highlight of us paying off $27,000 in debt in 15 months. Those are college, uh, college student loans. But the, the other side that I didn't share was this. So when we ventured out from college to Seattle, we're both working in the marketplace. We go from poor, broke college students to all of a sudden both working dual income. I was a nuclear engineer. She had an awesome job in the schools. That's a big swing financially, income-wise, for, for us. And I want to tell you the sadness in my heart that right away we didn't go out of the gates going for it financially in our trying to be good stewards. First, we, we just kind of had fun with it. And we found month after month after month, surprisingly, the balance was always zero. Isn't it funny how when we don't tell our money where to go, it always ends up being zero at the end of the month. It surprisingly just disappears. And that's what happened as we would go to Seattle and explore the city and catch Mariners games on a whim, and that, that, that was just the, the way of life. And we had a lot of fun exploring. But I, I have some regrets in that, that it took us a while. It wasn't until months into our time out there that I began to realize, wow, I think there's, some, there's, there's a better way. There's, there's a better way we can go about 
handling our finances, and we really got tenacious about going after our debt. So I'm, I'm not for a moment saying it's easy, but when we understand, wow, we're blessed, and whatever your circumstances are, you're blessed. If you're a single-income family, you're blessed. If you're a dual-income family, you're blessed. Make the most of what you've been given and go for it. Work hard. And you too can be used to display God's generosity. So secondly, I love in this story how God just gently and step-by-step leads the disciples for them to be the conduits or the vessels of a miracle. So God demonstrates his generosity through us because we've experienced his generosity, but also because we are led by his voice. If you want to know, how, how do I know who to give to and, and, and when and how? You have to know that the Holy Spirit lives in you. And the Holy Spirit himself, he'll lead you. He'll lead you step by step. Jesus in this story, he's constantly, well, he starts by saying, you feed them. But he doesn't leave them hanging. And he leads them step by step. Gather the, gather the food that you have. Break them down into groups of 50. He gives them just enough for them to be obedient again. And one, one step at a time, God brings about a miracle through them as they are, they are willing to be obedient with the revelation that God's given, given them. I hope, as you walk out of this place this morning, you'll have that voice of Jesus resounding in your hearts where he's turning to you and he's saying, you give them something to eat. He wants to use you to be a miracle worker in somebody else's life. You can be that person that drops off the groceries on that single mother's doorstep. You can be the answer to a prayer. You give them something to eat. And as people full of the Holy Spirit, in love with Jesus, not always having all the answers, when God drops something into our hearts, he prompts us in a direction, we just say yes. The disciples didn't run. When Jesus said, you give them something to eat, they could have just ran. Like, okay, I'm out of here. There's a boat. We came here on a boat. We're getting out of here. But they didn't. They said, okay, what's next then, Jesus? <laughs> I believe you. You want us to do this, but what's next? Holy Spirit lives in you. I hope you know that. Jesus said it'd be better that he leave. It'd be better than Jesus, miracle worker, Son of God, leave this planet. That's what he said. Because he's going to send his Holy Spirit to come and live inside of us. He's going to come up and come and take up residence in you and I. And he says, my sheep will know my voice. So you can be confident as you step out and trust God with your finances. Then you open up the ears of your heart to say, okay, God, where would you want me to give? That he's going to lead you. He's going to highlight somebody. He's going to bring something into your mind. And you can be the answer to a prayer. I actually want to illustrate something. I'm going to ask for $100 from somebody in this place, and I'm not going to give it back to you. So is anybody in this place willing to borrow me $100? Are you serious? Are you serious? What? Wow, thank you. You didn't even let me finish the request. Okay, you're not getting this back. Look at this. So I wanted to ask for $100 from somebody, and this guy was willing to jump up. I don't even know this guy. No, just kidding. <laughs> Riley's on staff with Kai Alpha. He's not going to get this back. That's because I actually gave it to him. This was, this was planted. 
But I feel like there, is this, there, there can be this joy in spontaneously uh, leading, or listening to the leading of the Holy Spirit when we understand God is the one who entrusted us with it in the first place. He's the one who gave it to us. It was never ours in the first place. And how freeing it can be when we understand that the God of the universe lives inside of us. He lives inside of you, and he's entrusted you with something. An income, a job, some resources, blessings, tangible blessings. And in, in, a, in a drop of a hat, in a certain moment, God can plop something in your heart. And how cool would it be if we jumped up with joy like Riley did right there? I didn't even really have to coach him on that. He was just, he took it to the next step. I want that in my life. I haven't always done that. There's been moments where I've responded immediately, and there's been other moments where I've hesitated. I want the trajectory of my life is to be more often than not that I would jump up and say, okay, Jesus, yeah, I'm there. I want to give. I want to give generously. I remember a turning point in this area in my life now 12, 13 years ago when I spent a summer in Rwanda, Africa. I spent a summer there living with some missionaries who were doing engineering work, drilling water wells. And here was a, here was a nation with you know, more than half of the adult population uh, unemployed, poverty everywhere, an AIDS epidemic, difficult situations, and it's, it's not hard to find the needs right before your eyes. And I remember as a young college kid, 21 years of age, being overwhelmed by this, just being over, overtaken, like, what, what can I do? I feel compelled to do something, but how, how do I move forward? And I just thank God for the wisdom of the missionaries that I, I, that I was living with. Virginia was the house mom that I lived with while I was there, and she was an amazing saint in Christ. I remember looking at her Bible, and it was just chock full of notes. Every margin there, there was no room to write anything else. She had taken notes and commentary on every page in her Bible. She loved Jesus. She was always singing songs and worshiped the Lord well into her 80s, now on the mission field. And I remember one time asking her, because she would often walk down into some of these um, slum areas of, of Kigali, Rwanda. And she would walk those streets with the love of Christ just all over her. She'd grab a person's hand, and even though she didn't speak Kigali, she'd just pray over them and look with love into their eyes. And I just asked her, like, how do you do that? How do you know who to go to? When you see a, a, a mass of people all in desperate need, mostly all crippled, they're all begging for something. How do, you, how do you know where to go? Who to go to? She said, Drew, I have the Holy Spirit living in me. And every time I go down there, I pray. And I feel that the Lord compels me to one person. And it's that one person that I can be a blessing to. You don't have to take on the world. You don't have to save the world. You be generous to one. You look into the eyes of one and you be generous with what you have. And you sow into that person's life with what you feel compelled to give. That's the generosity of God that we get to be a part of as you're led by his voice. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 11 says this. It's just, this is kind of tying a bow on this whole series, honestly. The principle of this series has been uh, Luke chapter 16, verses 10 and 11. One who's faithful with little is faithful with much. And here that principle is repeated, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. It says the point is this. 
Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. That's why I felt obligated to not take up that offering at the end, but to say that earlier. Because I I never want a person to come into this place feeling obligated or under compulsion to give. I want us to be a church that gives cheerfully from our hearts. Out of response of of what we've personally encountered, of what we feel being like we are being led to give by the Holy Spirit. So that, why? So that all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he's given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. forever. That's the heart of God. We talked about that last week. You can just always count on giving to the poor being a good thing in God's eyes. Politics aside, personal scenarios out of, out, like, to the side. We saw in the book of Proverbs last week that when you give to the poor, you give to the Lord. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. There's like these, this two-part blessing. Not only do, do we get to be a conduit of blessing to those around us, but we get a tangible um, tool or gift in our own lives to stir up thanksgiving in our own hearts that's overflowing to God. I want in my life to continue to grow in this area of giving, to be a cheerful giver. God says he will supply your every need, and you trust him in this way. I'm going to ask Adrian to start playing, and we're going we're gonna to close this morning. One of, my, one of my heroes is a man, C.T. Studd. I read his biography in college. He's a missionary to India and to Africa. He gave up a career in collegiate sports and probably professional sports to pursue God's call in his life and missions. He really lived out his faith in a tangible way. And this is what he said. This is what C.T. Studd said. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And for him, that wasn't theory. That was, that was reality. As he was giving his life, he left a life of luxury, of privilege, and he gave his life for those that would not have heard of the gospel, would, have not, would not have heard of Jesus Christ. Everyone would bow their heads and close their eyes in this place. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.